Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. Thank you so much, church, for praying for us. We are honored and privileged to be with you. Our Sudanese brothers and sisters, our Ugandan brothers and sisters, come with greetings to you, saying thank you for your intercessions, thank you for your prayers. And of course, Carol and I are so appreciative as well. We could not be there without people like you all, without lovers of Jesus who want to see the gospel go to every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. So God bless you. Thank you so very, very much. Uh, Thank you to the wards who have been hosting us. We slept in their home last night, and I just was, Margaret, I said, what kind of pillow is this? It was so nice. (laughs) I'm going to get one of those pillows and bring back to to Uganda with me. (laughs) Um, So I do have the honor of preaching God's word to you, and, and I do not take that lightly. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. I know you've been going through a series of that the cost is worth the blessing, amen, and you're moving into a new series Turning the world upside down, one of my favorite verses. And so I pray that today's word to you is a good segue between these two series that you're going through. Um, So let's look to the Lord. Let's look to him to speak to us, to give us clarity, to give us courage, to give us hearts that live and breathe Jesus every moment of the day. So let's read together the passage. Um, the, the sermon title is Living by Faith in God's Promise for a Better Country. And you're going to hear me say that often, better country, better country. And so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, and we'll stick pretty much in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, jumping back a little bit to chapter 10. So follow along with me. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, but as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. May God bless his word. May his spirit open our hearts and teach us and encourage us and exhort us this morning. Amen? Amen. So first, what's always important is to look at the theme of a book of the Bible that we're studying. So the theme of the book of Hebrews is a series of exhortations throughout the whole book to the original readers, to the original audience, not to fall into unbelief in the face of intense persecution. And so to set the stage for this, I think it's good to look at one of these exhortations. There's a series of exhortations, but in chapter 10, it fits right into our passage in chapter 11. So chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, helps us fit into this theme. And so... 
This morning, brothers and sisters, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience. Let's put ourselves right there when they heard this message that was given to them from the Lord God Almighty. And let's hear how they really and truly believe that the cost of living by faith in God's promise for a better country is worth the blessing. Amen? It's worth the blessing. So chapter 10, and I'm going to stop a few points here real quickly so we can move on into our our text. But chapter 10, verses um, 32 through 39 says... um, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened or saved, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Let's stop for a minute there. I don't like that word, plunder. I've seen, we live right on the border of South Sudan when war broke out, and there was plundering going on. We had thousands of people crossing the border where we now have the largest refugee population uh, in the continent of Africa, right in our area, and there was plundering going on. But notice, he didn't just use the word plundering, he said, joyfully. You joyfully accepted plundering. Ah! Only God's people can say that. Amen? They joyfully. But let's continue on. Since there's a reason. There's a reason. How is it possible? There's a reason. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Eleven sixteen. But as it is, they desired a better country. Therefore, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, church which has great reward. What is that great reward? 11:16. God is not ashamed to be called their God. What greater reward is there than that? Scott, right? For God to say, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. I'm not ashamed. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith. Shall live by faith. 11.13, they died in faith. We're going to connect those two. We're going to connect those two. Live by faith. And if he shrinks back, or if she shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure. But we are not. Church, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Church, are you hearing this exhortation? This is an exhortation to faith, to trust, and to perseverance. Truth be told, we are all, we are all struggling over something this morning. I'm struggling over something this morning. Carol's struggling over something this morning. You are struggling over something this morning. Perhaps there's some here that are even struggling over unbelief. You're in the shoes of those first audiences of Hebrews. Is the cost of living by faith worth it? Is it? Yes. Let us take God's word this morning and ask him to embed it into our hearts. 
embed his word into our hearts this morning. This pushes us to chapter 11. Chapter 11, where we're at. And so the context of the book of Hebrews is to not fall into unbelief and, and to persevere in the midst of struggles. The, the author from 1039 could have easily skipped over chapter 11, went right to chapter 12, verse 1, which says, let us run with endurance. But praise God, he gave us chapter 11. <laughs> Aren't you glad, church? We have chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. God knew that we need examples that chapter 11 gives us so that we too can see what faith looks like, that we can be a part of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We needed to be able not only to hear and be exhorted through our ears, we need to see examples. We all need to see those examples. We all need to see those examples, and we're meant to be examples to other people as well. I like the way the Amplified Version puts us to 11.1. And so 11.1 is perhaps the greatest verse on faith. It's perhaps the greatest verse on faith. 11.1 says in the Amplified Version, Now faith is the assurance, the title, deed, confirmation of things hoped for divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. The ESV is much shorter. It says, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. I don't know about, about you all, but I, for Many, many years just thought of, you know, what's the de what is faith? And I would go to 11.1 and see that as a definition. And it is a good definition. But in reality, 11.1 is much more than a definition of faith. It is, but it's much more. 11.1 explains the nature of faith. It is explaining the reality of faith. It is a description of what faith does and how it works. It is a description of what faith does and how it works. And that's really, really important because in 11, chapter 11, verses 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we need these examples. Yes, 11.1 is a definition, but it's an example of how faith is lived out. How faith is lived out. And so that helps us push on into our text. Uh, commentator Richard Lenski, I think, has a good, simple understanding of faith. He says, faith is an irrefutable conviction, irrefutable conviction, which rests on someone or something outside of us which inspires trust. Otherwise, I have no faith. So let's continue to think through this idea of having faith and what it really looks like. Uh, because there's many misconceptions of what faith is. According to this understanding of faith, both believers and unbelievers have faith. Let me explain. I had coffee, some lovely coffee this morning. I had water. We had, 
we came last night and worshiped with you, and there was some really nice food, good South Texas food that I really missed. It was really good. Um, but, and I did not even think about how it was prepared, where it was prepared. I had water in a bottle, and I drank it. I didn't think about it. You know where Carol and I live? We don't do that <laughs> because the water might be out of a hole. And I've gotten dysentery too many times to just say, I'm just going to accept this water from someone. No, no, no. Where's it been? And so forth. Because I don't have faith. Here we have faith, believers and unbelievers, that the meat we eat and so forth. What about those of you that have gotten on planes? You know, we fly back and forth. We get on these big old pieces of metal or like boats, and we walk right on, and I try not to think about it. But we're, we, we have faith in the pilot, we have faith in the engineers, so forth, right? So we're exercising faith. Even you're exercising faith, because I don't think there's anyone here that's been to RAU that there really is a place called RAU in Moyo, Uganda, right? I mean, you can do things with videos and things. So you're exercising faith. The difference between this kind of faith and Hebrews 11 is that true, true Christian faith is produced by God and rests on his word. Because planes do crash. Even though I'm putting faith in that plane, it can crash. But God's promises never crash. You hear that, brothers and sisters? When he says something, it happens. We can count on it. That's what true Christian faith is. And that's why this life of faith is worth it. He promises a better country. That's ahead of us. And so if he promises us a better country, what's going to happen? Do we get a better country? Yes. Amen? Amen. We get a better country. I love that phrase in the Amplified Version. Faith is a title deed. Other versions say faith is a reality. Other versions say faith is a certainty even of what we do not see. True faith is not some vague, wishful thinking, whoosh, a leap into the darkness. No, 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 no. It is a certainty that God will deliver. It is the title deed. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen, and have not seen. So, Biblical faith is an assurance, it's a title deed, it's a reality, a certainty of what? Things hoped for and not seen. Things hoped for and not seen. We see here that faith and hope are welded together. It's really impossible to separate those two concepts in the Bible. Faith and hope are welded together. The Bible clearly states that hope that is seen is not hope. Our brothers and sisters in Hebrews 11 greeted these things from afar. What is the hope we're waiting for? We're waiting for that hope of a better country, a heavenly one. And so these verses, the context, leads us up to our passage that we really want to look at. These brothers and sisters, it says, were commended for their faith. Even though they did not receive it, they were commended for their faith. I want to be one who is commended by God for my faith. Do you, brothers and sisters? 
We want to be one. How were these men and women able to do the great exploits? You know, you've read chapter 11, I hope I encourage you. We don't have time to read through the whole chapter. To do the great exploits that we read in there. And then we have the second half of chapter 11. How were they able to endure the great challenges? Just let me mention them quickly to you, these challenges. To suffer. They were persecuted. They were mocked. They were flogged. That means whipped. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were afflicted. They wandered. They were the ones that were commended for their faith. And it says the world was not worthy of them. They were the men and women that turned the world upside down. You're going to be hearing messages on that. Those are the kind of men and women that turned the world upside down. We are called to take up our cross because faith is worth the cost. And these chapters on the heroes of the faith... It's not about their abilities or even their character, because if you look closely at some of their characters, ah, <laughs> you know, ouch, they're in that list, okay? The author's purpose in chapter 11 is to give us examples of the one who put their trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you want to follow their examples, church? I want to follow that example. Do you want to follow that example? Scottish preacher George Morrison, who lived over 100 years ago, wisely said like this, the important thing is not what we live in, not what we live in, but what we look for. That's what's really, really important. So these things bring us up to chapter 11, verse 13. It says, these men and women all died in faith. We said, wait a minute, there's one that didn't, right? Enoch, he didn't die. <laughs> However that happened, you know, we don't know, but he didn't die. He was taken up. But as I've been told by many before, exceptions don't make the rule. So we'll leave Enoch off to the side here, okay? But these brothers and sisters all died in faith. They died in faith. Now, I'm, I'm a, I grew up on a farm in Iowa before I came to Texas, I really am a pretty simple kind of guy. And so to die in faith, what has to be happening? We have to be living in faith, yeah. right? <laughs> How can we die in faith if we're not living in faith? So si the simple truths in the scriptures are often the most profound. Remember 1038, it says, My righteous one shall live by faith. So faith is a present and living reality. If it's a biblical faith, it is a living faith. If we want to die, brothers and sisters, in faith, we must be living day by day in faith. So how do we do that? Another principle in studying Scripture is the Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. So just a short little verse that will help us, I think, and it helps me understand how do we do this living in faith. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is where I like the King James a little bit better. The King James says, set your affections on things above. The Amplified, I really, you know, I really got into the Amplified when I was in Seguin in those first days, the Amplified Bible. Amplified Bible says, keep focused habitually on things above. Wow. The faith that is a living faith is daily setting our eyes and heart on heavenly things. 
In our text, it's that better country. That affects the way we live and speak and even breathe. It affects our parenting. It affects our church life. It, affects how, it, it, it changes the, how we spend our money, as Scott was exhorting us this morning. Um, it affects our evangelism, how we look at the lost in the world. It affects missions. And with this confidence, we can be assured that the cost is worth the blessing. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, what are you treasuring this morning? Brothers and sisters, where is your treasure this morning? Where is your mind this morning? And focus determines treasure. Focus determines treasure. The men and women in chapter 11 had their focus on God and his promises. These heroes of the faith were regular people just like you and me. Don't think of them as some super thing. And, and please don't think of missionaries like that either. Right, Jeremy? We're just, you know, just regular kind of, we're just plodding one foot in front of the other. Really, that's what it is, plodding one foot in the front of the other, just day by day. These brothers and sisters of chapter 11 greeted, embraced, received, and welcomed these promises from afar. That means they're out there. But they knew God said them, so they knew that they would happen. Amen. Church, let us seek to be living in faith that we can die in faith. Yeah, Am I making that point? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I want to be, and I pray that you want to be, when we are taken to Jesus, that he says to us, well done, good and faithful brother or sister. I am not ashamed to be called your God. Hallelujah. I am not ashamed to be called your God. Now, 1 Peter 2.11, in case you're saying, oh, Jacob, come on now. 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says it as a fact statement. 2.11, he says, dear friends, I love when he says dear friends. That's really good, isn't it? Because he's counting them as friends. You are, fact statement, foreigners and strangers on the earth. Is that how we see ourselves? I mean... I was saved at 20. I'm, I just turned 68 yesterday, so I'm glad to spe- spend my birthday weekend with y'all. Um, <laughs> thank you. And I hope I have another 68 years to keep going. You know, so, is, you know, I've said over and over, yes, I'm a pilgrim. My confession, I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger. But then I have to ask myself, am I living that way? Because sometimes that's incongruent. We say we're pilgrims and strangers, then we look at the way we're living, and we're not living like pilgrims. Amy Carmichael, one of my missionary heroes, who was a missionary in in India, she said it like this. Listen carefully. It'll cut you. it, It cut me, certainly. We profess to be strangers and pilgrims. Amen. Yet, oh, there's that word. Yet, we settle down in an unstranger-like fashion, exactly as if we were quite at home and meant to stay here as long as we could. Yikes. 
Confession, reality. We need God's spirit to bring those together in our lives. Carol's in my living on the Uganda-South Sudan border for 10 years now has opened our eyes up more and more to that fact. And it needs to be opened up. They need to be opened up more and more. I like the way my Pedele Palanda wife says it. That's Madi Pedele Palanda. I can teach you a Madi lesson. Pedele Palanda means very beautiful. So I'm going to quote my Pedele Palanda wife here. Carol said it like this. Our norm has been scrambled by our cultural transplantation. Its effect has made us to be somehow like cultural vagabonds, a person who wanders from place to place, so that we do not feel completely at home either in America or Uganda. It's been kind of a really an awakening for us um, and seeing how incongruent my life was when I started confessing I'm a pilgrim and then the reality of it just by living. And we live in the midst of pilgrims, refugees, um, people that are in our tribe that had to flee as refugees. When Edi, we're in the area of Idi Amin, they had to flee as refugees. So they have these stories. And when one is an outsider, people treat you differently. People treat pilgrims differently. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we come back and forth to America, you're going to be treated differently because you're going to be standing up for the word of God and that's going to look so much out of place. But remember, you're a pilgrim. You're a pilgrim. Faith takes the long view. Faith takes the long view. And when we moved there, where we're at, it was just bush. Now we have many trees. I love trees. Mango trees. We teach grafted mangoing. There was lots of mahogany trees there at one time. But one example I want to give you that, that I think helped me understand this more is that we had one mahogany tree left that wasn't chopped down. And so I started planting little mahogany trees all over. And one of the brothers came up to me, a dear brother, said, Jacob, why are you planting that mahogany tree? You'll never sit underneath its shade. They grow really slow. They grow really slow. You'll never see the, the benefit of that tree. And it wasn't, I didn't even think about it. It just came out. I said, it's not for me. It's not just for me. We do things for others, right? For those that are following us. So it takes the long view. Our theme verse is 2 Timothy 2.2. You can see it on the placard there. We're road builders. We want to pour our lives into a few people well who can take that message and pour it into other people well, who can pour it into other people well, who can pour it into other people well. That's our calling here. That's your calling here in Burnett. Grabbing a couple people and discipling them and giving them the word of God day after day. Our lives are a pilgrimage. Our lives are a pilgrimage. So when our citizen, citizenship is in heaven, all other places are not home. How many, let's think about this, how many promises did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob see in the flesh? A few, but most of them not. Now don't be discouraged by this statement, brothers and sisters, but how many of God's promises will you and I see in the flesh? Some, yes. Amen for those, praise God for those, but probably few compared to what we are going to receive. 
Another one of my favorite missionaries is Adoniram Judson. I hope you find encouragement in this quote because I have it posted at my desk. I have it posted all over the campus. Adoniram Judson says it like this. He says, there is no success without sacrifice. You hear that? There is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. Amen? Are you taking that in? It guards me against pride, the first part, when I say, oh, look what I did. No, I'm reaping the benefits of other people that have sacrificed. In those times when I get discouraged and I'm preaching and, you know, very few are coming to faith, and I go, oh, man, maybe we just need to go home. No, 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 because there's others that will follow and reap those benefits. Let's finish up with verse 16. But as it is, they desired a better country. Do you know that word desire there is so important? They desired. It's not just enough to renounce the world. We must be desiring our homeland, which is God's place. They desired for it, and they declared it. What drove this desire? We said it over, and I'm going to say it over again, a better country. Have you noticed that word better? Um, When Jesus wanted to emphasize something, He said, not just truly, he said, truly, truly. God is holy. We say, holy, holy, holy. Amen? In the book of Hebrews, the word better is used 13 times. So let's look at that. (laughs) Let me just run through them real quickly. Jesus is better than the angels. We are confident of better things concerning you. This is all in Hebrews. The lesser is blessed by the better. We have a better hope. We have a better covenant that's used twice. We have better promises. We have better sacrifices than these. We have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. We have a better country, our text. We have a better resurrection. And lastly, God has provided something better for us. Better, better, better. I could say it 13 times. We get it? Better. This is God's promise for you and me, if we are indeed putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and our walk of faith. I know probably here there may be some that are not believers. You're here. God has drawn you here. That better is not for you. I'm just saying it straight out. (laughs) It's not for you unless you put your hope and your trust in Jesus, that he died for you that he was put on a cross for you, that he was raised from the dead for you to give you new life, that he ascended to heaven and he's coming back again. Put your hope in Jesus. You have pastors here, you have brothers and sisters here who will minister to you and lead you to Jesus where he guarantees and promises you a better place. Amen? This life is transitory. Now, I've been accused, I've been accused sometimes, especially in my early days, but recently too, that Jacob, you're just so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't know if anyone else has said that. You're so heavenly minded that 
You know earthly good. I love the way C.S. Lewis, I wish I could just have a little ounce of his brain. <laughs> just a little bit. Shoot it in there, God. And so I want to share this quote with you from C.S. Lewis that destroys that argument for us as believers, which is good. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present were those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and I love this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> That's powerful. Eleven sixteen. therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called your God, my God. We want that message to go throughout all the world. And so the fruit of this type of thinking affects our evangelism. Are there lost people in Burnett? Burnett? I said it wrong the first time, but I corrected myself. Burnett? <laughs> Even though I'm from Seguin, not Segway. Uh, <laughs> there are lost people here. Jesus saves people. Amen? He saves them through the proclamation of the gospel, through you. We want to take people to heaven with us. So we're proclaiming the gospel wherever we're at. We are called to be ambassadors, his representative. We represent Jesus. God is making his appeal through you, brothers and sisters. It affects the way we look at missions. Mission is purposely crossing the chasms of geography, culture, and language to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have little to no access to it. I love Piper's quote here, mission exists because worship does not. David Sitton, another missionary, says it like this, the risk is right when the cause is Christ. I have that one posted up everywhere, too. The risk is right when the cause is Christ. Taking risk, Piper says, and I agree, taking risks only makes sense if our eyes are on the resurrection, if our eyes are on the better country. Let me close with this final exhortation to you, and then we will pray and hopefully walk out that word that we've been hearing. I'm sure that none of us will say, I'm pretty sure, I can't say this positively, but I'm sure that none of us will say when in heaven that we prayed too much. Oh, I, I'm in heaven. Oh, man, I wish I went to pray so much when I was on earth. No. We're not going to say we sacrificed too much. We're not going to say in heaven that we proclaim the gospel too much. We're not going to say in heaven that we are too passionate to get the gospel to those who have little to no access to the gospel of grace. Do you know, brothers and sisters, one-third of the world, which is about 3 billion people, 2.5 billion people, have little to no access to this gospel of grace, to this Jesus that we are praising. That, I'm just, that is wrong. Praise God for churches like you are, are seeking to set that straight. We need to get the gospel out. And this kind of thinking that we've been looking at in chapter 11 affects us in doing that. Let us together press on to make it our ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. 
For more messages and full services, visit hcfburnit.org or the Church Center app and connect with us on social media. 